This is Richard Wilson speaking. Thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. So I'm a wrinkly, crinkly, but don't shed a tear. One foot in the podders, one foot in the chimney. A Christmassy welcome to you all, and sincerely hoping everyone so far is enjoying the Christmas festivities. If you're listening to this at a completely different point in time in the near future, then apologies for the depressing intro. A simple hello, and hope the spring, summer, autumn is treating you fairly. As ever, I'm Tom, and here again reviewing an absolute Christmas classic in the British comedy world. And with me is a brand new guest who is, it's fair to say, very passionate and healthily obsessive about this extended special. And we've spoken and analysed this episode enough times for me to have the urge to review this with fresh eyes. It's Ant from Manchester. Hello, Ant. How are you doing? Hi, Tom. I'm all right, thank you. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Very good. Glad to get going. We are... Recording the well, we, me, I myself was recording this a second time. I believe I recorded this would have been in 2020 with Ben. Yes, but it's been a couple of years. We've been in touch, haven't we, for you know the last six or seven months? And yeah. as I mentioned, been back and forth with with uh, discussing certain moments in this show. And I know is this, is this your favourite? Who's listening, or is it just in your top five? Uh, no, it, it is my uh, absolute favourite episode of uh, not only of the specials but of the of the whole series. Yeah, absolutely, I, I just love it. Uh, that's quite a statement, really. I mean, this this yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, December the twenty seventh, nineteen ninety. Some would say a graveyard slot between Christmas and New Year, but it does. It, I reckon it gives a true representation of actual fans who watched the episode because if you put an episode out Christmas Day, you're always going to get millions and millions of viewers, aren't you? But if you put it out yeah. that an unpopular slot and you still get a lot of views viewers then that's a testament to the the program isn't it yeah i mean i was i was very surprised um when i read that it was aired on the 27th um because you know i always imagined it showing on christmas night you know like um mm. of course they used to do with only fools and horses um in fact it, it used to be something we we'd look forward to after our, our dinner really is um you know, we'd sit down and say, "Oh, what times on the and horses on?" Um, and yeah. and and I think, as you say, I mean, the the only issue I think with the twenty seventh really is that uh, people aren't necessarily, um, you know, gathered around. I mean, on Boxing Day, you could at least say, "Well, okay, people are gathered around the television; they're having a quiet day mm. after after that." Uh, with the twenty seventh, I mean, you know, there'll be people watching, but it's not exactly. Um, you know, the same as people all gathered on Christmas night, you know, waiting for that. I mean, the, the, the thing I'd be interested to know, though, is how popular was uh, the show at this point? Because when you think this is the first special um, and a lot happened in 1990, I mean, we had two series. Um, yeah. so, so a lot has happened. I mean, we've been introduced to Victor. We've we've spent time in their old house. Then we've seen them move. We've mm. We've just been introduced to Patrick and Pippa, and now here we are, first special. So it's difficult to say, you know, at this point, how many people were fans, how many were watching, because I have heard a lot of um, fans say that they think it's around Series 3 that it really took off. So I don't know. It's, um, But I, mm. I, I'd, I'd be interested to know how David Renwick felt about the 27th. I can imagine, you know, he might have thought, oh, you know. I was he, might have been disapp- he might have been disappointed, but maybe... Given it was a quite a new sitcom 
1990, despite a couple of series down, maybe it had to, for whatever reasons, prove its worth to be aired on Christmas night. I'm just... Yeah, I'm, maybe. Maybe. And yeah. subsequent Christmas specials were on Christmas Day, Boxing Day. Yeah. And it uh, you know, got stronger and stronger, didn't it? I mean... Yeah. That's if right, you yeah. compare... If you compare what some of the shows were getting on actual Christmas Day, other sitcoms were only getting a few million more um, and some less. And that's having the bulk of the audience share, you know, sat inside, looks like on Christmas Day compared to a lousy 27th of December. So one yeah. Grave did really well. well. Like any Christmas special of anything, especially if it's Christmassy, um, I don't like to watch any time of the year apart from December. Yeah. I don't know what that is apart from <clears throat> it's Christmas feel. Like one for the Algarve's a Christmas special, but it's summertime in portugal so i will put on that up put that on at random points of the year but who's mm. listening i like to save for um you know end of november december onwards but i, I imagine you will put it on at any point of the year if it's your favorite yeah i mean it's it's funny because um it's around christmas i'll always say like oh i'll, I'll watch who's listening but then you know there'll be other points of the year where, where i'll i'll put it on as well it's um part of the reason i like it so much it is the only christmas special in in the sense that it is the only actual christmas it's the only one that is a christmas special um Mm. the the other specials were you know obviously um were shown at christmas but like when you think of it okay obviously one foot in the algarve very much not um but even even some of the others like uh, obviously starbound and endgame i know that wisdom of the witch and um the man who blew away have certain elements like obviously the snow Snow. yeah (laughs) And the man in the long black coat has the fairy lights on the manure, but it's only really this one that's actually yeah. Christmas based and has actually has Christmas as part of its plot. And and um, and I mm. think it's quite significant in a way that it's the first special. So, you know, I, I suppose afterwards, um, because I, I can imagine David Renwick would have felt quite restricted if he had to make every special uh, Christmas based. Yeah, and I can mm. understand that. In a way, I'm glad he didn't because it makes this episode all the more special in a way, or it stands out. Because you could say if they were all Christmassy, then this wouldn't have quite as much of a uh, strong atmosphere to it. You know, what's just come to mind there is if a scene where you have, or a scenario where you have Christmas lunch with Mrs. Walboys, Mr. Sweeney, and the Melges around the table. That yeah. that would provide potentially many comedy moments. Yeah, and a reluctant Patrick and Pippa come round as well, but you oh can't. <laughs> I don't suppose you could write a plot based on Christmas. Oh, you could do. I don't know, but it, like you say, it makes all the all the more special. There is a moment where Victor says the line, "Who's listening?" But do you know why this is called "Who's listening"? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I I kind of attributed it to the the speech he makes to Margaret about you know you're not sure what to believe in anymore and who's out there who's listening and, it, and I, I thought ah oh, that's what it's about you know. Um, yeah, and, and, and in a sense, when you think you've got you've got um, a vicar who's lost his faith, um, you've yeah. got you've got a tragedy, or at least what we think is a tragedy, with Mrs. Burridge and her husband, and uh, and the, the episode has a strong um, basis on you know why has this terrible thing happened? You know this this man's obviously lost his faith. He you know there's this, and of course it deals with. The fact that Christmas is a sad time for a lot of people, you know, especially the homeless, and, and you think, well, the the question who's listening, you could say, is uh, basically questioning, you know, is there anything out there? You know, is is there a God? Is there some kind of higher force at work? What's what's going on? Um, so True. yeah, in a way, you could sort of attribute it to to uh, to all those things. Was was Great Aunt Joyce even listening when Victor says that he doesn't want any more uh, petroleum jelly sent to him for Christmas? <laughs> or- 
or any well, Newbury, Newberry fruits from whoever sent the Newberry fruits. Yeah, I've never had Newberry fruits. I'm quite interested to try them now after watching this. <laughs> I can't say if I have or not. No. But should, we, should we delve straight into the episode? Should we open up with the first scene? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Opening scene is obviously in the Meldrew living room. We see the Meldrews with Jean on the sofa, already getting a Christmassy vibe with the subtle Christmas incidental music opening. I can't tell what instrument it is. It might be, I looked this, I looked at what kind of instruments there are in the world. Sorry, Mum? Oh, right. She wants to attack all your men in Japan with two dice from Mongolia. <laughs> A bass clarinet or a bassoon. Yeah, and I, I was, think it brings yeah. us nicely into the scene, doesn't it? Is it thinking, you're, a music, you're a music man, aren't you? Yeah, I was. I was thinking bassoon. I mean, it's funny though because it's there's um, a little bit of I think is it God rest you merry gentlemen. Um, yeah. But the the thing that strikes me, and this is probably just based on me, obviously having because of course we've seen the episode, we know what happened. But um, I always thought it sounded a little bit sinister, strangely enough. I know there's a hint of bells and like, as Chris said, but you, there's almost a kind of feeling of stuff's about to happen. And when you think yeah. about it, uh, a lot is about to happen. I mean, this episode, I mean, n- not to go off on a tangent, but th- part of the reason that I feel that this is such an important episode, and such a landmark episode is it sets up the show going forward. Series one was obviously about him coming to terms with his retirement and they did they lived at the old house and everything. Series two was a transition into living at Riverbank, meeting Mr. Sweeney. Obviously, he's now the neighbour, meeting Patrick and Picker, yeah. get, uh, getting off on the wrong foot. And this episode sets up the new format from series three onwards, which is basically, well, as we'll discover, this episode explains really why Patrick started to hate Victor and, and why they never really reconciled ever again, even though Man in the Long Back Coat seemed to be going in that direction. But then, you know, mm. what happens in this episode, sadly, was, uh, well, from what we see going forward, it was irreversible. There's a sense that this is, uh, things are about to go down here, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. We've spoken so many times about, it goes from naught to 60, doesn't it? Patrick it really, and Victor's it, feud. Oh, it really um, does. It, it's more Patrick's issue for sure. Uh, Victor's on the uh, the end of it, but we're, mm. we're going to get to that anyway. But mm. so yeah, nice. It looks like a quite a cozy opening. But the first thing we really notice is that Victor's got yet another injury. It's quite an obvious one, obviously. He's uh, broken his leg, and he's done it in the most bizarrest of ways by buying a shirt in millets. Don't know how, how he's done that. What has he just tripped up on some coat hangers? I don't know. Um, but it's yeah. left to your imagination. Apart from the fact he's in millets. Yeah, yeah. Given the actual shop name makes it sound funnier as well. It um, does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. Warboys, like I said, is is there? She's I, she's round for a game. I think it's battleships or something warlike, isn't it? And yeah. they're playing with Margaret's mother over the telephone, which is quite a cozy setup, really. I wonder mm. if that was a fairly common thing for families to have once done in the time before online games and video calls. You know, it's quite um, an inclusive thing to keep your family members uh, involved in any. Christmassy games. Is it fair to say a classic Christmas family game is Monopoly? Yeah. Monopoly is is a is the go-to, isn't it? I mean, in, in the hmm. last sort of 10, 15 years, uh, ball games based on TV shows is quite a popular thing. I've in, in years gone by, I've absolutely loved playing eight out of ten cats and what's the other one? Um, Would I lie to you? Those are two oh, yeah. really fun board games, really fun. The last year or two, my family have sort of said, Can we not play this again? 
because I'll <laughs> always bring it to family function. But uh, yeah, they're, they're playing battleships. I think Mrs. Warboys is presumably on the sidelines during this, isn't she? Because she's just knitting. I mean, she might be playing, but she's not really involved. She's just sort of there for, for company, I, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's it's funny, you know, you, you ask about, you know, was this a, um, a common thing for you know, families to do, but um, if it was, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know for certain, but if it was common for them to sort of play with someone over the phone, then um, this scene is doing a very good job of um, poking fun at how easy it would be for the person on the other end of the phone to be cheating. No, he got a double four. Yes, double five. What a surprise. How very convenient. I'd never have guessed. Be, be, because, <laughs> because, of course, you know, a big part of the comedy here is that Margaret's mum is conveniently getting a point higher than Victor every time she throws the dice. Victor's the only one to be pointing this out. And uh, I think one thing, it's funny you say Mrs. Warbury's on the sidelines because she's very quick to chirp up when Victor says, like, well... You know, isn't it convenient that she, and and she's like, oh, isn't it a shame when he's a sore loser? And you think, well, <laughs> and you think, come on, <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> she's a, she's a, just a jive, isn't she? I mean, she says that line. When's he due to have his leg off? She can't. Yeah, she can't be taken literally. But you, you, you never know with Jean, do you? No. Um, all we no. all we all we know is it's there's plasters coming off on the Friday, and yeah. there's there's talk about how the, the predictable irritation caused by the leg of his plaster. Like, so he's had a bit of a scratchy, itchy leg. And he had an ant's nest down it. <laughs> yeah. situation Victor's got himself into to get an ant's nest down there, but only to Victor Meldry would that happen. No, I know. It's, it's, it certainly explains why he was itching like crazy for so long. <laughs> I mean, good grief. Like, um, yeah. I, I mean, again, though, you wonder how it got down there, you know, similar to how you, you know, you mm. wonder how he broke. You can say he, he might have broken his leg by having a particularly nasty fall, but how on earth an ant's nest got down there? I mean, he's got a bit of graffiti on the, uh, on the leg, isn't he? West Ham Wonkers. But mm. he, whilst he fell asleep at the park, he's an Arsenal fan, so I, that's no insult to Victor. But it was written a long time before we knew he was an Arsenal fan. Yeah. So maybe at that point, David Rowett didn't know if he would even like football, let alone support a football team. No, no. But, uh, yeah, he, yeah. It, it does sound like a bit of a challenge playing over the phone. And with an elderly person who will fall asleep and drop a dice in the, is it in the germaline, which yes. is... a. Uh, yeah, I, I has a check. There's a just an antiseptic cream, isn't it? Okay, yeah. using using the actual name of a product add, gives the joke a bit more of a layer, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and actually, it's sort of um, this, this setup. It sort of reminds me of the sort of ongoing joke in Porridge, where um, you know, it's like particularly with Blanco, where he says. Um, you know, oh, can you just get that for me, Fletch? And then, of course, he comes <laughs> up and he says, and the board's rearranged. But, the, of course, the difference being is he he can see that something's changed, but he doesn't quite know what. Um, on, the end, <laughs> on the end of a phone, you simply have to trust that the person is playing honestly. And um, yeah. and after a while, you can see why Victor would start to think that this is uh, a bit hard to believe, that you keep just get scoring yeah. high, you keep scoring exactly one higher than me every time. So, yeah. But, I noticed um, that. They're playing with a sooty egg cup, which I think it might be a nod to family ball games missing parts, so you have to make do with alternatives. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. Very, yeah Possibly, <laughs> I don't know. But he's, yeah. Victor's really in a bit of a rotten mood. And I, he is. I obviously realise he's bemoaning uh, Margaret's mother at the assumption she is cheating you know, by comparing a tactical approach to mm. that of how Hitler approached the matters and how that's how the Third Reich began. It's it's actually the, the game yeah. there. 
that's actually the game they're playing, isn't it? So maybe it isn't battleships. I don't know if they're playing. Um, if it's not battleships, it'll be. Oh, I thought I had it in my head. Then it probably is battleships, but it's more land war type. Yeah, I thought it was battleships, but then again, I, I must admit, like, like, I'm not really up on my board games. Like, mm. you know, it's, in fact, it's actually been a while since I played a board game, so I, I'm not sure. I, I would, um, I would assume battleships. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. certain. Yeah. So the the game is paused while um, Margaret's mother needs to go to the toilet, and so that's where they start to reference the broken leg. Seven weeks he's had this broken leg. Yeah. Um, and someone had drawn an obscene Salman Rushdie bit of artwork. He was attacked yeah. earlier this year, wasn't he? Actually, Salman yeah. Rushdie. Was he? So it's, it came off with some lemon pledge, so it's absolutely fine. <laughs> Margaret says. So oh Victor, yes, yeah. Victor, um, he goes to get some ice for his drink, doesn't he? And yeah, the women are talking about you know the itchy leg and how he broke it. And Jean cryptically asks Margaret if now is the good time to ask him for a favor, which Margaret agrees it would be. Is Victor comes back in and Margaret sets up this quest for Victor's help by asking uh, about the nativity production she presumably is is running. Yeah. Uh, if, if they found someone to play a certain part, I'm I surprised it's set up by Nick Swain actually. Yes, it's but usually, yeah. it, is, it obviously it obviously isn't. And Margaret's mum's fallen asleep, so the mm. game is put on hold for now at the very least. And this is the moment where Jean does ask Victor to play the back end of a cow. And naturally, you're going to be offended by that proposal. I think. I think Mr. Gosling yeah. from the Chippy was a down to play for it. Fady looked too stupid, so they thought they'd ask Victor. Just another Jean gaff. Yeah, directly insulting Victor. Not very good, is it? I mean, as we, do you know, it's this is something that um, I don't know, like whether people will agree with me on, but I'm always a bit torn with Mrs. Warboys sometimes. Whether, like, obviously there are times where she's very tactless. She'll say yeah. some. She'll say something completely innocently, not appreciating, you know, how it sounds. Mm. But um, and I'll I'll come back to this sort of later in the episode. I do think, and I don't know if this is intentional. I don't know if it's the way Doreen Mantle plays it, or or even if it was intended in the writing. I do think there are times where actually she's more, shall we say, cunning than she lets on. In in as far as um, you know, she'll pretend not to sort of be aware of something when in fact she is. Um, it's hard to tell, isn't it? She I, plays it straight. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that because there's a scene later in this episode where um, I, I really think that um, she's she's actually being very yeah. kind of clever. But I'll, I'll talk about that later. You know, it's just um, that's, that's that's fine. Yeah. She seems to think Victor starred in last year's production, Babes in the Wood. Mm, yeah, that he played the King of the Toadstool, but she's totally got it wrong. She she needs some convincing. He was not in that play. And he wasn't even there, Victor snaps. And mm. Margaret intervenes and saves Jean from further a further wrath of Victor's mood. And this is where we uh, we tragically learn that Victor wouldn't have a Christmas tree in the house, much to Jean's horror. I said this last time in the podcast a couple mm. of years ago. I, mm. I can't put my finger on how Christmassy and tragic Jean's response to that is. I don't know what it is. He won't even have a tree in the house this year. Refuses point blank. Oh, you've got to have a tree in the house, Mr. Meldrew, for Christmas. Yeah. You've got to have a tree in the house for Christmas. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. But he does justify justifies the the this, doesn't he? Due to the immoral amount of build-up you get from the retail world. It's a bit of a more meaningless build-up to what's supposed to be a religious period. And I'm not sure Victor's wound up with a lack of religious element. The greed, the greed side of things, isn't it? And the nauseating TV shows you get. 
But this is 1990, and I just think, how how bad is it 30 years on for Christmas TV? Um, it's yeah. just there's just not as much of a choice. I, I did look up what was shown in Christmas 1990. There wasn't all that much, to be fair. But yeah. the following 10, 15 years, we actually got some good Christmas TV. Then it's yeah. downward spiral for the last 10 years, with the exception of a couple of specials, of course. It's because 1990, I mean, there would have been Rodney Come Home, uh, mm. which the year after the Jolly Boys outing. So there would have been, there would have been that Fools and Horses special, which, while a great episode... Um, it ends on a real downer because, um, of course, Rodney and Dell end up walking away from the flat and it's all very like, what's going to happen next? Uh, this episode, I think, um, at least, you know, in terms of most, mostly in terms of how it ends, is a lot more optimistic and positive. But Victor is very um, agitated for the first, mm, I would say, about 20 minutes of the episode. He, it's hard to pick. I mean, obviously, I think... we, we know we know what point that is. There's a turning point, isn't there? Yeah. For his mood. Slightly, it's not off topic. Obviously, yeah. He said the funny joke about chocolate rabbits melting under the lights. Obviously, yeah. reference to East, Easter being celebrated as soon as Christmas is finished. The talk of Newberry fruits. Yeah. Which I used to think, I used to hear it here as Newberry fruits, Newberry in Berkshire, but it's Newberry. Right. But Which is either yeah. one word or two words. Also, the packet says has two, it's down to two words, but. Newberry. On their website, it, it, it's singular. I don't understand why they've done that, but it's new berry fruits, and I think it's just one of those Christmas sweet traditions. But yeah, like maybe. I, said, I haven't. I don't think I've had one in. If I have had a new berry fruit, I don't recall as such. Probably from childhood, maybe. What's a yeah. classic? What's a classic Christmas treat that most people have? I think after eights throughout the year, but after eights are quite popular at Christmas, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, for um, me, it's, for me, it's Ferrero. Mint. For, for me, it's oh, Ferrero Rocher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gene makes one more attempt to uh, ask Victor. It's a bit it's a bit of consideration before he, sh- he shouts out no. He's just in a bad mood. He just... I, I love how Richard Wilson does it, though, because you really think that she's twisted his arm he, you know, you, you know, he, he gives her this wonderful look of, oh, go on then, and then he's just like, no, <laughs> it's just, it's just brilliant. You know what, though, if I was old enough to watch that as that as an Ed, I would have fallen for that, but because obviously One Foot's probably pioneered a lot of comedy moments into other sitcoms in in the last thirty years, and when you watch it, one of the first times I watched it, I could see that coming because of his, he was in such a foul mood. Yeah, but back then it would have been something I've been an original bit of comedy, I think, sort of misleading you down a certain path before. No, nope, I'm not doing that. Yeah, but that ends the that abruptly ends the scene, doesn't it? It um, does. Although they've not wanted to put up, or they Victor's not wanting to put up a tree. There are there is some decks. Just want to point out there is a bit of tinsel around some photo frames that I think Margaret's probably had to compromise. Like, okay, I can't have a tree. Although Victor needs to compromise, right? No tree, but you can put up a little bit of tinsel, so at least there's something. Yeah. I can't help thinking if Margaret had put her foot down and said, you, we're, we're having a tree, I don't think Victor would have tried to stop her or kicked up a fuss. I think he'd have said, right, well, fine, you put one up, but, you know, I'm... I'm... That does surprise yeah. me. That does surprise me. Margaret, with her character, yeah. she would say, no, I would like a Christmas tree. I, I, I just can't imagine. It's only for... A couple of weeks of the year, you have a tree in the house for most people. 
This is well, some insane yeah. people put it bloody mid November, but nevertheless, it's it's a tiny percentage of the year. So it's a shame you couldn't. Um, I suppose the thing is, though, to be fair, this is still at least to some degree that this is still kind of series one, Margaret. Even though she's changing, she obviously through series two and throughout this special, we we do see her. There's a, there's a, there's a transition, obviously, from series. I know two. What you mean. She's a, yeah, she's a lot tougher in for, for in light, later ones. But I do think at this point that at least to some degree, there's still a lot of series one, Margaret, in there, and I think she wants to kind of keep the peace keep Victor mm. happy to some degree whereas if it were say later down the line series four or something <laughs> like oh blimey no I think she'd be saying like we are having a tree and that's final you know I so, think you're right yeah yeah on to the following scene I don't know if it's the next day or not Margaret's on the telephone I think she's talking to great aunt Joyce about what Victor might like for Christmas it sounds like yes the suggestion yeah. for last year's gift is, is not recommended as the condition has nearly healed up she, mm. I think she suggests she was going to buy him a watch as this Current one is slow, but he likes that time passes um, by. Well, he thinks time passes by quickly as it is. So, yeah, this is a, t- a touch of Jonathan Creek. Time waits for Norman for any Jonathan Creek fans out there because that foreshadows that story. Did you, are you a Creek fan? It's funny, actually. I used to watch it, um, you know, as a, as a child, but I've, I have not seen it in years and I, I probably should watch it again because. You know, I, I, I know that obviously the fans of One Foot um, seem to like Jonathan Creek. Obviously, same David Renwick. So um, mm. I should probably check it out again. Uh, but um, I've not seen it in a long time. I remember enjoying it, you know, years ago, but I, I just haven't been back to it since. In Time Waits for Norman episode, it just centers around a character who's got a phobia of time. That he lives with a, a his wife who collects clocks and watches and stuff, but the compromises. The second hands are all removed, so they're like faceless clocks. Right. But it's a really, really, really good plot in that. So, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, back back to one from the grave. Sorry, everyone. Um, Victor hobbles in on a crutch. Plast is now off. Yeah. Margaret abruptly changes the topic as Victor enters, obviously, because they're talking about Christmas presents. And grumpy than usual, just as grumpy as the previous scene, I suppose. Cru- crudely calls out he doesn't want any more petroleum jelly. And I think, I don't think he needs to shout that out. I mean, spoiler alert, he'll receive a big, big ass jar at the end of the, sh- the episode, but I'm not sure mm. Vaseline heals a condition. That's basically Vaseline, isn't it? Sounds like Margaret covers up yeah. for Victor by being polite. She's, mm. She covers up for him because she just, I think she just apologized. I don't know what she says, but Victor's sort of being a little bit rude there. That's yeah. just the mood he's in. I think he just, you know, she just says, oh yeah, Victor sends his love or something like that. Yeah. 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 And that's when the, the old doorbell goes. Victor oh, laments yeah. the lack of pressure coming out of the taps. So there's that sort of planting a seed for that storyline. The, the tap pressure is rubbish. Yeah. Cancel well, the old uh, plumber. <laughs> Cancel the plumber, calling a specialist for geriatric bladder disorders. <laughs> made me yeah. very much chuckle. <laughs> and it's. Yeah. There's, there'll be an ongoing reference, well, references galore about the icy, cold, windy conditions, which certainly plays its part for the storyline. I'd say an uncomfortable and sheepish looking Margaret returns from the, the front door to say yes. that the delivery driver's turned up and he's just quickly, he's gone. She can't really bring herself to say what's been delivered, which brings you to sort of external, yeah. to, external to 19 Riverbank on the front lawn. So it's more of like a, it's not revealed at that moment, it's a close of a victim on the telephone, mm. absolutely livid. Whoever's, whoever he's spoken to disputing the delivery. So yeah. the, stru- the structure of the joke is marvellous, isn't it? Because we don't know what's happened yet. The setup is perfect. The of its time mix-up is presented to us. So the Excelsior Garden name 
catalogue 263. Yeah. <laughs> Sasperate Victor then reveals why he would he want 263 garden names. Instantly seeing see that long shot of all, all the names on the front lawn, which mm. it doesn't look like 263 to be fair, unless they're spread out onto Mr. Sweeney's garden, but there's a lot. Do you know it's funny because um, there are two things in this scene that I think really hammer home for me the fact that this is still mostly sort of kind of series one, Margaret, because she comes in, not you know, not not by not not to suggest that she's scared of Victor or anything like that, but she's obviously like, oh, this is bad. Oh, what's he going to think? And yeah. she's and she's obviously he's the one that's obviously very angry, and she's just sort of not. She's bewildered, not enough to. The thing is. <laughs> Margaret later down the line would have been more angry than him. She'd she'd be coming in going, "Oh, for God's sake, Victor!" and 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 rather than you know her being all distressed because one gnome has fallen over and and sort of like we need to get him in, you know she she'd be re- really having a go at Victor. And and that's the thing is that we're still in early days. This is still the this is the long suffering wife Margaret rather than kind of how she becomes later now. That's not to suggest that. I mean, there are exceptions, as um, as Ben rightly pointed out. There are episodes such as Dreamland and Endgame where it gets to the point where she's she's really quite nasty, and 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 you really think like you know it goes too far <laughs> the other way. But um, but this is still you know to, to a, a large degree the sweet the, the sort of sweet um, Margaret of series one who just doesn't really know what to say or do for the best and. Um, and you can understand Victor's um, frustration because, you know, I mean, he says, like, you know, why on earth would I want 263 gnomes? But at the same time, there is a part of me that thinks that from the point of view of whoever's on the other end of the phone, if someone or if someone actually rang up and ordered 263 garden gnomes, it's not really your place to question it. You might think it's weird, but if that's what they want, you, that's you, very true. you send it to them, don't you, you know? Um, it's, you that's, know, a, it, that's a bit like yeah. That's a bit like the in, in Endgame when the caravan was returned, and it isn't their caravan, but it's it's been crushed, and the guy uh, I can't remember his name now at the scrapyard. Yeah, it's like he's like, well, I just returned it. That's what you, you did ask for it. But to be fair, he that guy at the uh, scrappy got the wrong end of the stick. Yeah, but I suppose you were saying about Margaret being a bit more submissive. Basically, I think that's what you're getting at, which I agree. But yeah. there is the exception in man, uh, the man who blew away. She's sort of quite afraid to tell him that their car has been found in Finland. And yeah. I think also in Wisdom of the Witch, there's, you know, when they've got their, their rooms being graffitied. Yes. Laughing gear around this or something. Yeah. And she really doesn't want to tell him. So there are moments where she's like, oh, God, he's going to explode. But yeah, yeah you're right. Very yeah, she, very true. Yeah. yeah. But yes, that's largely point. speaking, she does she does come out of her shell more and more. But financial back to this this specific scene with with all the gnomes. Financially mm. speaking, the Meldrews are at risk of going savagely out of pocket, as any slightly damaged gnome will be charged for. And with that, a couple fall over due to the poor weather, which supports the plotting earlier when Victor lament, lamented the windy weather, and will come up again later on. And and yeah, they are they're in trouble. They need to bring those gnomes inside, which does bring us to Meldrews indoors night time in the kitchen as we see a handful of gnomes plotted around the kitchen which brings about some chuckles from the audience and Margaret checks the phone line that is dead so we'll know how that play out later but that, again that supports the, the the very thick plot a lack of contact for certain family members as the uh, episode progresses 
not family members, but other families away from the Meldrews will, will be impacted by a lack of phone lines. Yeah. And she steps into the living room and we see a shed load more of <laughs> just such a shite. Such a yeah. shite. Um, it was just such a sight, sorry, <laughs> it's it's, all right. of all these names, which which the audience absolutely roar of laughter. It's one of those classic visual moments, isn't it? It's yeah. very clever and memorable. Just works so well with being a Christmas special as well. That obviously that certainly helps. That they're, they're not just garden names, but they're obviously elves. You know, they're just dotted around everywhere. And I just wonder, they've got two spare bedrooms. I reckon they could have chucked in 263 into the spare bedrooms, like neatly piled them up, let them down. But this yeah. is a sitcom, and that would be boring. It's much, much more fun. Yeah, the house being decorated from top to bottom with with these Christmas garden names. And there's there's even names surrounding their bed. Yeah, and some in the wardrobe. <laughs> I, I suppose you could explain it by saying that they they're so um you know sort of paranoid about one of the gnomes getting getting broken that they thought well we better stand them up and spread them out because if one gnome, say, mm. topples over, knocks another one over and so on, and if we put them lying down in a pile and, say, the pile collapses, they they just don't want to be in a situation where, they, where they're having to refund the, the company for, you know, goodness well, knows how many well, What I'd say, yeah. you know you said it's if you order a large quantity of something, it's not for them to question, are you sure you want this? I think some companies would go, we just want to triple check you want 263 because it's going to cost them money to mm. come and collect them, even though they charge the customer probably. I'm just going mm. into fine detail for no reason here. Yeah. That's still, they still have to play, pay a delivery guy to turn up and collect them, and that's mm. admin costs. So I, if I owned a business selling, for example, garden names, I'd be like, just let's just triple check. They bought, they, 263 is an odd number. It is another, but uh, then again, some companies, uh, or, or even you know, put, putting companies aside, even some employees may very well take the attitude of, "Well, look, the order, the order came through to us as two hundred sixty-three yeah. gnomes. If there's been a mistake, it's not our fault." And I'm not, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the right attitude to take, but but that it could very well be the case that they just think, "Well, if there is, um, if there's a screw up here, it's not mm. us. It's it's his fault. He should have made his order more clear." You know. You know, my job is to um, do to do the orders, and not to question them. Uh, obviously, yeah, yeah. What you're what you're saying is absolutely the sensible thing to do is to is to check. But some of these people might just go, you know what? That, that's what that's what you said. You you, you said you wanted two hundred sixty three gnomes, so so that's what we gave you. Now, of course, he didn't say that. He said catalog two six three, but but they heard it that way. So as far as they're concerned, it's not their fault. Ladies and gentlemen, I did say. That we had a healthy obsession for this episode. We're going to the most <laughs> detail of analysis. <laughs> what could I possibly want with 263 bloody garden rooms in the first place? We'll, we'll move on because I, I think we'll be here till the early hours at this rate. The way we're, <laughs> yeah, I could talk yeah. about this for hours. Yeah, Victor asks about the phone lines of Marcus. That reinforces things further. There's, there's power cuts now due to the uh, bad weather. Victor sort of berates christmas tv silla black uh, particularly i don't know what david Renwick must have maybe uh jokingly has something against silla black perhaps maybe she was yeah. an irritating presence on tv at one point or another but like i mentioned earlier what what was on christmas tv 1990 we focus on christmas day itself otherwise we'll be here forever trawling through the old radio times but 
yeah. did look this up. Highlights include obviously Rodney come home, falls and horses, bread, uh, birds of a feather. All right. There was Yes Minister. Oh, was there? Was the, yeah, Yes Minister, the, uh, the Snowman, which was a 1982 creation. Right. So pools and horses aside, one foot, even back then, I think would be the majority mm. of comedy fans' preference, I think. But yeah, a dig at Scylla Black, as, as Margaret points out, her appeal was her infectious laugh. So yeah. Victor compares it to a, a hyena on anthrax. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. <laughs> and he and he he takes out his bad mood on a on a name staring at him. He knocks it over. Say, that's gonna cost you, Victor, if that breaks. <laughs> yeah, quite. Goes off on a bit of a mini monologue about Christmas, how all the miseries in the world seem hundreds of times worse at Christmas, which I think that's a fair comment to make. What do you want for Christmas? A set of razor blades to slash my wrists with. <laughs> which was a very quick line. She does that, doesn't she? Yes. She does one foot in the Algarve. Something about something for his face. Try a pillow or something. Yeah. Can't remember the exact line. She's quite... Yeah. Razor sharp comments from Margaret. Yeah, I mean, Razor Blades was a. Yeah, was, yeah, just going on and about about you know how how miserable Christmas is and everything, and then it's like, what do you? Well, well, you know, now that you've depressed me this much, I'll just, yeah, just give me a set of razor blades. Well, but, she's uh, up. She's upset though because he's just not in the Christmas spirit, and I'm sure she would be someone who's getting a Christmas spirit, but mm, yeah. he's uh, imagine he's very much spoiling the mood. For, for, for Christmas, Victor's so so again, so he's so anti Christmas. I think he's probably convinced her in a previous conversation in a early in the year that they didn't really need to do Christmas this year, like no Christmas presents, and they agreed that was going to be like a ritual. I mean, it's definitely not going to make Margaret feel better, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like not not wanting to do um, presents is one thing, but I, I must admit, like, because I I like to think for the most part that Victor Meldrew is you know a character that I can understand you know what i mean i i, I mm. do sympathize i sympathize with the character in a lot of episodes and yeah i must admit in, in spite of the fact that this is my favorite uh, favorite episode um one thing that i do struggle with in these early scenes is just exactly what victor's problem with christmas actually is he, I, I mean he points out that the problems that seem a lot of the world's problems seem worse but he doesn't really like explain exactly what he means by that and 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 he, I know there's hints of him not liking how commercial it's become, but I don't know. I just find myself thinking, like, what is really eating away at him? Like, you know, usually when Victor's in this kind of mood, in most episodes, I can I can see why, I can understand why. But I must admit, I do struggle a little bit with these early scenes where he's just so kind of... Well, he's he, he's he's got some sort of he's got a block nose. He's got a Christmas cold. That that makes the things that much more miserable, mm. doesn't it? Especially at yeah. Christmas. Well, yeah. Perhaps he's had a perhaps he had a bit of a sad upbringing with Christmas. Maybe his family didn't do didn't really do Christmas or something traumatizing in an in an earlier part of his life. Maybe it's the Stuart Meldrew element. It's may, maybe they just never really recovered from that. You know, losing uh, to bring a Dapner on this Christmas special podcast, but he lost a child at any age, let alone a presume like a very young child. I think it was a baby, according to the books. That that for life, you are going to be damaged. So maybe Christmas just. But Margaret obviously probably sees the uh, sees it the other way. She's like, no, these these moments where ideally uh, Mm. a a festival like Christmas is supposed to be happy. I want to make the most of it, but you're bringing Mm. the mood down, mate. So yeah. they obviously clash with that side of things, but anyway, mm. just gets from bad to worse for Victor with his with his mood, and and it brings us to possibly the I don't want to say a turning point, but reflectively speaking, will be a turning point later. But we're in now in the video store, 
Yes. And I suppose this is the last scene in the show where Victor will stop being a mardy old sod. But it does bring <laughs> back the memories of... So this, for, for anyone over, I want to say over 25, this brings back the memories of registering for a service in a time before the internet. Here's my birth certificate. Here's a document containing my normal signature. Here's a document containing an abnormal signature written whilst wearing a boxing glove. Here's a cheque for the required amount. And uh, here's a pound of my flesh. As I realise, I must forfeit at any time that I haven't a top three in the film. So, for example, yeah, this video shot where you, you were asked to bring copious amounts of ID, and Victor does he does take it a bit too far in, in, the, in the current bitter mood by providing the lady uh, with a pound of liver, amongst other things. Or, well, pound of flesh, which is obviously uh, a bit of an liver. An abnormal signature. <laughs> an abnormal <Yeah>. signature. <laughs> I, 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 found, I found that funnier, because he just says it so casually. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, and an abnormal signature written while using a, wearing a boxing glove. <laughs> you know, and obviously, yeah, he, and he then goes a step further with a pound of my flesh. Right. <laughs> he, he just looks like the ultimate miserable old man because he's got the the cap the walking stick and his his just mindset is just miserable but do you remember the joy looking around a video hire shop like the smell of popcorn the sound of a film being played in the background and so you're being within touching distance of hiring the latest film release you know what and it's going to sound strange because obviously now we've had i mean we've had dvds we've had blu-rays and we've now got like almost everything we could want on apps these days. I yeah. miss I miss videos, and I think a lot of it is just. Um, and I know strangely it says I swear they looked better. Like like they they looked better on your shelves. Like a video collection just yeah. always just always hooked me in. And I swear DVD collections just don't do that the same. There's the videos. I know obviously videos didn't have like the special features and all this kind of thing, but they were always designed so well. Like the video cases, and and they always had that buy me sort of quality to them mm. and, and not only that but I, I i remember how resilient videos were like you know how with a dvd you get the slightest mark on it and suddenly a whole scene of the movie won't play anymore a video <laughs> you, you could drop a video down several flights of stairs play football with it for an hour and it would you could put it in the machine it still plays fine <laughs> yeah but the bastard would still get tangled up though wouldn't it well, it yeah, could. You get the yeah. tape with tangled ass that you're done for. But I, I hear what you're saying. I just want to say on the topic of uh, 1990 and films, sort yeah. of on that topic, I did a quick check on the top 10 films of 1990. Yeah. And I'll, I'll start from 10 to 1. So mm-hmm. at, at number 10, it's a gross worldwide gross. This is Kindergarten Cop. Yeah, uh, love it. Number yeah. 9, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number 8, mm-hmm. Presumed Innocent. Oh, that. Harrison Ford, yeah, good one, yeah. Number seven, Die Hard two. I haven't seen Die Hard one, and listeners will berate me for that, but Die Hard, I will watch it. Yeah, I've Die, never watched Die Hard. Well, I can tell you, Die Hard one and two are the absolute best. They are, they are both brilliant and great films to watch at Christmas as well. The thing is, right, it yeah. it, it doesn't draw me in. It's called mm. Die Hard. About, mm. I think it's about a terrorist plot of a skyscraper. It's an action yeah. movie. I just I can't see how that feels Christmas Christmasy. Yeah. I am in the minority. I totally appreciate that. I've just for mm. some reason. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's number seven. Number six, Back to the Future Part Three. Yeah. Great. Uh, number five, Total Recall. Yeah, uh, brilliant number... film. <laughs> They're all great. Number these. four. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen half of them. Yeah. Uh, that... <laughs> 
Number four, Dancers with Wolves. Kevin Costner. Uh, num- yeah. Uh, in a three, Pretty Woman. Uh, uh, can you yeah. guess the top two? Do you want to guess number two, number one? Oh, blimey. 1990. Yeah, I mean, because I think you've you've read out like a lot of the ones that first come to mind. But um, all right, well, um, just trying to think some of the ones I. Uh, no, no, it wouldn't be Lethal Weapon because they that they were. They were. You're not doing a Margaret's mother, are you? And cheating, and you're not. You're not. You're not looking no. it up. No, no, no. Because no, I'm, I'm thinking about all like the all like, the DVDs I used to have before I got rid of them because they're all absolutely, you know. As I said before, <laughs> I'm I'm going through all these box sets in my head now, sort of like mentally. Well, obviously, yeah. Well, obviously, mentally because in my head. Duh. Um. <laughs> well, we'll save we'll save time because we've got to let go, yeah. Go, let's sorry, get through, go but, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Home Alone number two. Oh God, yes, of course. Of course, Home Alone. Yeah, <laughs> 1990, and then number one, Ghost. Oh, the Patrick Patrick Swayze. Oh, yeah, I forgot what year that came out. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, um, that, that was the top ten. Yeah. But back to the scene. Victor finds plenty to moan about with the videos being incorrectly placed in the wrong sections, which is true to life. That that would happen. You would yeah. find things dropped because people just don't put things back in the right order. Mm. This is Kathy C- Shipton, by the way. She, you might recognise her from Casualty. I don't think she's in anymore, but she's a veteran of that show. She was married to. Char- everyone knows what well, most people know charlie and casualty he's been in it from the very beginning i think he still is but yeah kathy shipton well mrs mrs burridge i mean the thing is i appreciate that obviously you know she's she's not being particularly sort of friendly but at the same time she's not being rude either no not not, not horrible and um i i mean i don't know exactly like why victor you know it, gets at her the way he does i mean i know he's obviously in a foul mood in general but um and and i mean he's got a point about the videos being in the wrong place but at the same time yeah his his treatment well his behavior towards her in this scene is is just it is not fair at all and um but but what's interesting though is that she she doesn't seem to be upset by it she's just kind of not bothered i mean she's a bit irritated but at the same time she kind mm. of she kind of just if she stands there, obviously with her arms folded, just just kind of not not really, almost kind of switching off. And then as he leaves, she even kind of has a look of, okay, well, that that guy was a bit strange. But um, the the point I'm making is, it doesn't come across to me in this scene like he's really upset her so much as just kind of, you know, she she just can't be doing with him basically. Yeah, she she um, looks she she just looks pissed off and. She can't be dealing with this customer, regardless of uh, how, however you look at it. Victor's just being a nuisance, isn't he? It's how people put them back on the shelves. I haven't got time. Yes, yeah, you your little kiddies think this is jolly good fun, do they? Watching some decomposing corpse sucking people's blood out like a cardinal ribena. <laughs> I suppose this is an ideal bedtime story in your house, is it? Yeah, he um, is. Yeah, just, yeah, just not being very polite, and he will repent his sins. That you worry. We we know yeah, we know will. what's happening, but he's been a he's been a bit of an old miserable old sod. Let's let's face it. Yeah, yeah and yeah, she he he's after a a film with uh, what's the film he's after again? Was Jimmy Jimmy Cag- uh Jimmy Cag- Oh, Angels yeah. with Dirty Faces. That's it. And yeah. that reminds me, in Home Alone, isn't there a, a made a film that Kevin watches? Angels with is it Angels with Dirty uh, Souls? F- filthy Souls, yeah. Filthy Sasset. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a rip-off of that or not, but yeah, that, that's yeah. not the longest scene, but it's. I wonder if Victor's like this all the time, you know, in between 
the episodes we know in 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 one foot in the grave universe if it was real is he like this in retail is he this um mm. you know passive aggressive or any class is passive but i'm not bit gonna, of a nuisance um, <laughs> i'm not gonna say too much because obviously we're, we're going to get to it afterwards but i will say given what we learn about her later it's a wonder mm. she it's a wonder she's at work i mean i know she's got a little boy to support, true i was gonna say but uh, but you'd think i mean that it's this is meant to be quite soon after the um tragedy that we're going to learn about and i i just kind of think wow um yeah, yeah she's I, I mean i tell you what if her if her response to what has supposedly happened is to go into work and to just be not not all sweetness and light but let's remember she's not being you know it's not horrible it's not rude i mean fair fair yeah, she, if, you, if, you're, if you're a mystery shopper the most you'd say is well she's sort of you know blaming the fact she hasn't got time to and she's not you know being accountable for for the messy display or the incorrect display but yeah when we know why anyone will get off of the free pass with what she's going through but well, we'll move on to the next scene because in the back garden, presumably, again, I can only assume it's the next day or whatever. Mar- Margaret's working in the back garden, clearing up all the leaves, requests help from Victor to do his bit of front. Victor momentarily explains how they got the plaster off his leg. So that covers that part of the story. Mm. Well, quick question. Yes. Yeah. What is the mind blank? What's the reason they've written? David's written in a plot or a storyline that he's broken his leg. Is it just for the gag about trying on a shirt in millets? Is it so he looks like classic kind of old guy with a with a lip with a walking stick? Is it just uh what was the think, reason? I I wouldn't be I mean this is just speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised if at least on some level, uh, because I think we as the audience should, no matter how miserable or how well, you know how much Victor may go on and all this kind of thing. I think we have to sympathize with him. And, mm. and I think, okay, it's all well and good having him sort of rant about how he thinks, how he, he thinks like Christmas, you know, it's all commercial and, and all the bad things seem worse. But to have him be really, un, to be quite sort of unpleasant towards that lady in the shop and, yeah. and to just be in this mood, I think perhaps there needed to be a bit more than just, you know, Oh, I don't particularly like Christmas. So to have him be in a situation where he's broken his leg and then on top of that had an ant's nest down it and he's been going through a rough time. And then, of course, you know, he's, he's hobbling around with his cane. Um, it just perhaps helps us to understand a little bit more why he's the way he is. And, it, and, and I think it makes us more forgiving towards him later on when he, when he thinks, yeah, maybe. You, know, you know, when he thinks that I need I to... Think some... uh, Make things right. But also just there's a couple of gags. Is the ants nest down there plus the part of the leg and, and there's yeah. the West Ham Wonkers element. But yeah, it's it well inside the house now. Here lies quite possibly the birth of a future fallout, but we won't go into that just yet. It looks <laughs> like from Victor's Victor's point of view, a posh looking parcel and a card has just arrived. Great Aunt Joyce has come up with the goods this year, it seems. And once again at the front door. So the front door, you see the apparent row of houses opposite the Meldrews, which actually aren't there in real life. If you get get down to Tresillian Way in Watford oh, yeah. in, in Christchurch, because they, they need to be they, they they need to have that row of houses 
appear opposite just because there's a few storylines uh, later on in the series not storylines but comedy moments with mr and mrs ellsbury's mum just trying to watch the tv through their window when they got the 50 inch telly there's the affair of the holiday moment where he's climbing through the window and the phone rings and it's someone saying mm. someone's breaking into your house they have to have houses opposite 19 river bank but there isn't actually any houses at all for real but the point i'm trying to make is there's a there's a angle of victor when he stood on his doorstep and behind him, it actually looks like there are those white houses that look, look like Victor Margaret's and Patrick and Pippa's opposite. And I think if they just filmed momentarily in a different part of the, of Tresillian Way, because mm. there are actually there's not that's not like a backdrop of a print of of the houses. That's actual houses. So I thought in front of in front of Tresillian Way, in front of Nineteen Riverbank, it's just a wall. Yeah, and you can see like some trees and some there are some houses but they are totally a d- totally different kind of build but in this in this scene if you have to i can't remember which part which how many minutes in there is actual houses behind victor that look real it's hard to describe but I, I just have yeah. to rewind it back a few times thought if they just i I just i couldn't explain it well no. i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't get my i couldn't understand where these houses appeared from they must be i don't know no I, I'm, anyway. I'm not sure yeah it's, it's, it's interesting that i i hadn't noticed that before but yeah no good good point <laughs> but yeah. anyway the gift is a posh bottle of plonk victor sporting probably the for the first time a, a grin a, a smile a, a pleasing but surprised look on his face shall we say and then yeah we're, it switches to the garden um, this time back to green-fingered Margaret carrying out a bit of gardening when she's interrupted politely by a gentleman who introduced himself as Tom Croker. Uh, yeah. he, he opens up with the line, are you winning? And yeah. what does he mean by, what does he I, mean I, by that? Yeah, I, I, I think he means... Um... You know, are you um, are, are you doing? Have you are you doing well? Are you uh, are you ahead? Yeah. Are you getting most of your gardening done? I guess that's what he's saying. But I mean, what a gem of a character! I mean, I it's funny. I, I would have. There's a part of me that would have loved to have seen this character in future episodes. But then at the same time, um, you know, it's it may well be a case of be careful what you wish for because sometimes these these characters they they work wonderfully in a plot that they're designed to have a part in, but then the trouble is if you bring them back. I am surprised, though, in all honesty, and, and I'm not going to talk too much about Patrick and Victor yet, but I'm amazed that there was never a, a situation later down the line where, uh, Rev, where Reverend Croker tried to get Patrick and Victor to sort of make amends. I, I, I honestly would have thought that he would be saying, I, I want I want to, you know, get these two to to just pull, yeah. pull, pull out that behind yeah yeah well certainly at that final scene we can certainly talk a little bit more about that but i yeah. should say this is pippa's father yeah um it's the f- it's the first of two times we're introduced directly to a relative of a supporting character yes can you name the other is it pippa's brother yes uh, uh yeah. nigel yeah, we, Je- we, Jeffrey Perkins. We we don't really get to know him, do we? Though to be fair, I no. mean, like at least with like with Reverend Croker, we we do get to to know him personally. But but yeah. like, um, I tell you what, though, Jeff is it Jeffrey Ch- Chater? The, Jeffrey Chater, yeah, Le- he died not at age a hundred and. 2021 i think last year so he lived to a grand old age and what, uh what I, what I love about his performance about how he portrays his character is that he's he plays this such such a such like a wonderful human being and yet at the same time he's not 
he doesn't overdo it to the point where he's larger than life. You, you know, when you get um, a character who's so sort of wonderful that you almost think that they couldn't exist in this world. And he's he's not like that. He, he has his, as we'll see later on, he has his limits, you know, his patience, yeah. his patience can be tested, but he's... When he speaks, yeah. it, sounds, it just sounds like poetry. Oh, I tell in you emotion. what, he's, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's a smashing character. I mean, I won't say too much more because we'll learn more about him. But yeah, absolutely. I think he's probably my favourite guest character, which makes sense. Favourite episode. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's, there's another minor, I don't want to call it a continuity error, but in Hole in the Sky, when Victor tracks down a Jeffrey Croker, played mm. by Mike Fenton Stevens, I just wonder if, if Victor, would have gone oh well, i knew of a croaker but that was a few years later to be fair so you might not have it's fair to say you could easily forget your neighbor's father's last name because pictures picked pippa's obviously now trench so to be fair mm. you won't remember anyway yeah, so suppose, yeah he's invited in to uh to come inside naturally because it's it's cold and, and windy even though margaret's working out in the garden we cut to victor around the front clearing out all the leaves it's mm-hmm. just to highlight again it, it's it's that time of year and it's, it's very windy and it's just a mess on the on the gardens very christian of margaret to invite tom croker inside as he's he's momentarily spooked by all the names and then you, you cut back to victor's quite a lot of switching of of uh scenes here mm. who victor notices the, the the door slams shut and he, he obviously knocks on the door which is answered by tom croker by this point tom croker has actually picked up a bit of random literature which i think it's I think it's the literature found inside the magazines in the first scene where Victor says you've got half of a rainforest in here. So it just it's very convenient that when the door opens, you've got a, a vicar holding some religious pamphlet of, of, of sorts. And it confuses Victor, doesn't it? Good morning to you. You must be Mr. Meldrew, Tom Croker. Yes. I am sorry to disturb you like this. I won't need to impose upon you too long, I'm sure. It's just that I'm I... I'm sorry, I'm really not interested. Yeah, but I was like you, stranded on the outside without a key. Happens all too often, doesn't it? Yes, I know. How much are the magazines? Um, I beg your pardon? 30p, is it? To cover the cost of the printing? I think there's a touch of in Luton Airport, no one can hear you scream with this misunderstanding from Victor because he obviously suffers from a complete brain fog or a brain fart, should I say, and he... He thinks he's turning away a religious preacher. Um, <laughs> why did I? Why did I say it's a touch of if, in Luton Airport? No, can he scream? Oh, is it because? Oh, yeah. So you know, in that episode where he takes all of the party guests to Mr. So, Swainy's by mistake, yeah. and he chucks out Mr. <laughs> Swainy. It's like the reverse of that. But yeah, I love, um, I love, yeah, and it's and that was a classic example. I don't know what it is, but there's something about the way Annette Crosby delivers the line you have just thrown mr swaney out of his own house that just cracks me <laughs> cracks me up <laughs> this this is actually the scene by the way you know i i was i was banging on about the the backdrop to victor yeah where there was there they looked like actual a row of white houses this is the scene but there isn't any it's not it's not a, a backdrop put up by the art department it's i, I couldn't work it out because on one side there there obviously are houses to the left of Riverbank, if you were to step outside of the Meldry's house to your left, there'll be a row of houses. That's where in Luton Airport, no one can hear you scream. That's where yeah. that old chap was holding the party. But to your right is a, uh, a junction where you just leads on to another part of the close or another part of the estate. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, if you look at that scene, I think I can't work out where those houses are from. Anyway, sorry, I'm not going to go over that. Uh, that 
part of the uh, no, scene anymore. No. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. Time limited and all that. Victor again, he tries to buy the very literature he he owns. Well, like it's he's right, paying it's, someone, yeah, like he's it, paying a big issue worker. Like, okay, he just have the money and go. Well, it, it's, and he, it, it's probably because for him, it's like all those times that someone's come to his door and he's just been like, oh yeah, okay, fine, whatever, go away. And it's now happened so many yeah, times, isn't it? And he, he's just forgetting that he's on the outside of that. <laughs> and, and I must he's admit just, he's not with it is he well Reverend Croker to be fair I think it's a bit unfortunate that he says certain things like you know well I you know I was like you trapped on the outside and he sounds like one of these oh, yeah you know I I was like you trapped, and he's like oh yes I'm sure you were yeah blah, 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 blah. yeah you know and he's just like he, he I, thinks I, he's talking he, talking yeah. he, he thinks he's talking like um uh what's the word um like he's like he's speaking like Oh yeah, like a metaphor, um, a metaphor, yeah, a metaphor, yeah, a metaphor. So <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he's, he's literally like, you know, saying like, I was stuck outside. Yeah, and I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I mean, that's what you'd expect <laughs> the person on the outside of the uh, outside the door to be saying to you when you answer, wouldn't you? So, like, it's you know, it's just unfortunate choice of words, I think, on his part. Yeah, yeah. Well, Victor obviously realizes a mistake pretty quickly, and yeah, it yeah. follows with with Tom Crook and Margaret looking on it, it's a bit of disbelief, isn't it? We're brought, yeah. brought into the living room now. Uh, I think one of the most one of the most profound scenes in one foot and certainly up to this point of the series where Victor and Margaret sat down with uh, Tom Croker, keeping him company whilst he talks about his faith and his aspirations for the future. Mm. I think Margaret's somewhat, I think sucking up to Tom. That's a bit of a dodgy phrase, but be, being in a respectful position of his community is something I think people might do, but whether they're mm. in the company of a policeman, a doctor, an actor, whatever the aspired job might be, ordinary people, I think ordinary "Quote unquote," yeah. normal people feel obliged to impress or gather acceptance, and that is what Margaret's doing. She sort of says, "I think she says like, oh, we Victor.' I think say Victor tries to um, basically go to church. I think I can't remember the exact line. It's wasted on Tom Kroger anyway because he he reveals quite an unexpected fact about him. Victor may, but I'm afraid I don't. Don't what? Believe in God. Yeah. So he talks yeah. about his crisis in faith. Obviously, it's obviously taken its toll on on, on his uh, beliefs. Oh, no, I, I can remember quite clearly when I first discovered God. It was September the 4th, 1951, and then I lost him again one day last summer. <laughs> Woke up one morning in July, he was gone. You make him sound like a hamster. <laughs> He actually talks about when he first discovered God, which is specifies as September the 4th, 1951, which I realise is David Remick's birthday. Oh, um, right. Nice little Easter egg there. It's, yeah. it's not the first time he's done that because Stuart Meldridge's date of birth, according to the book, is also September the 4th, 1951. Oh, but yeah, he found him in uh, 1951, basically, then lost, <laughs> lost him again. Lost him again. <laughs> one day last summer, which you could take that. The reason why I laugh, obviously, because Victor says makes him sound like a hamster. It yeah. breaks the mood, but yeah, that with with that bit of writing, you could read into it and think this was uh, Remick writing the sitcom and losing himself spiritually as he started his one foot chapter. Maybe he was thinking, I don't know if I, mm. I don't know, but it's it's a good it's a good little line. I love that. There's but, a, there's, there's such a a childlike innocence to uh, Reverend Croker as well because he's. He's sort of like, well, you know, obviously I, you know, I used to, but but then I used to believe in fairies and elves. And, and then of course he's like, well, and the SDP's economic policy. But but yeah. That's the second time SDP's mentioned, isn't it? I think yeah. Margaret talks about it in series one because he complains yeah. about Thatcher. 
And yeah, uh, yeah well, you did vote the SDP, which meant mm. they got. But yeah, when I mentioned about Renwick losing self spiritual, I meant sort of like if this is out 1990, Renwick would have been writing this probably 89, 88, 89. Yeah. Presumably, maybe he had a moment in his life where actually, this is an, I'm starting a new chapter in my life with this sitcom. And I've now got a different outlook on life. I don't know. I'm reading far into it, but it, this is a mm. podcast and this is licensed right. to go in yeah. heavy on reading every single bit of dialogue mm. that's but, ever spoken. But it is, but, um, it's kind of ironic because, I mean, you know, M- Margaret wants obviously to sort of like be polite and say, oh, well, you know, like, um, you know, Victor, you know, they, they just haven't been on speaking terms lately. But of course, that's what I'm saying. Like, she's trying yeah. to like please like this yeah. authority figure. I'll say authority, yeah. but don't you just love that quote, by the way? Faith is absolute or, or, or it's nothing at all. Yes. How true is that? Like, you, you could align that with anything in life you have a passion yeah. for. Well, no, it's all right. I mean, the, the, you see, for, for as much as I um, absolutely, you know, I love I love the character and and I love the way Jeffrey Chater plays it. Funnily enough, though, um, that is actually one line that has me scratching my head a little bit because I see what, where he's coming from. But at the same time, when he says, you know, faith is absolute or nothing at all, I kind of think there's an implication that if you have doubts mm. that, that there's a problem. And actually, I'm sure even some of the most like devout believers have, have that. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, mm. I'm a Christian, well, I'm a Catholic. And I'm, I mean, you know, it, it's not like I've, I mean, gosh, I'm always questioning things and I, I, I have doubts, but I suppose at the end of the day, it's whether you continue to have your faith, even in spite of those doubts. And what's happened to Reverend Croker is that he's just got to the point where he thinks, I'm sorry, there's just not enough evidence. And of course, we're going to discover a big part of why that is and how that links to mm. the, the video shop. He's going to be working for Resins. And I looked up Resins. I mean, there is a company called Resins. Uh, they didn't really go into what they do i wonder how qualified tom croker is to walk straight into a job at corporate level on the board after 40 years ministering i know I yeah. just, has he got friends in the, in the right places i don't know but he's going straight into a is he 60 or 70 i can't remember um is he I, nearly 70 well it's funny you should ask because um i was interested to sort of see what age richard wilson and Jeffrey Chater and Angus Deaton were because I was trying to figure out where um, in terms of age. So it seems that Reverend Croker would be probably a few years older than Victor. Yeah. While, of course, Victor would be. Well, Victor's uh, presumably 60 because it's 1990 still. Yeah, he's 60. Did they, yeah. did they, say, did they say it's the 70th? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. I think I've, I've, I can't he, remember as, as I as we talk about it, but nevertheless, yeah. he's he's going into a new career at quite an old age. Yes, presumably with no no past experience. He doesn't seem apprehensive about it either, or no. at, least, at least not from what I gathered. I mean, and like <coughs> Duncan, who like rings him while he's doing his last sermon, he he's kind of like really chill about it. Like, oh yeah, no, I'm, are you at the office? You know, and, and does, mm. he, he seems to. I mean, he says that losing his faith grieves him more than he can say. And yet at the same time, there are moments where you think, blimey, you've really moved on quickly. Like, <laughs> that's well, just well, my perception. He felt like last summer to where it started to doubt. So it's the best part of a year, year and a half of, of, of doubt. But this is this is actually where Victor's path takes a different turn. Well, mm. his move does, where Tom Kroger does speak of recent events that led him mm. to realise that faith for many people was meaningless and how he can offer no comfort to those in the, the local parish where he speaks about a recent incident involving a, a young mother's husband, 
which yes. impacts heavily on their young son. And when I look around and try to explain, explain to someone like Mrs. Burridge, the young mother, barely 30, most devout and reverent of Christians, a little boy aged six. Last Monday, her husband left the house to fly to Munich on a, on a business trip. He was going to be away seven days, come back on Christmas Eve, so they could all attend midnight mass together. He never even got to the airport. The car collided with a petrol tanker and he was burnt alive at the steering wheel. Words of comfort come hard, Mrs. Meldrew. Well, there isn't much you can say, is there? It's pitiful to see a woman with her appetite for living so absolutely crushed. And yet from somewhere she finds the strength to carry on with her life, which can't be easy. Working in that video shop all day long, dishing out death and destruction to amuse the masses. Perhaps you know her. It's quite near here, corner of Hogarth Avenue. Young girl with long blonde hair. No, but then I very rarely go in this shop. It is quite a horrific story, that, isn't it? Especially yes. given it involves a young child's loss. A young child's father, sorry. Yeah. And the worst time of year as well. I mean, there's no good time of year to lose a loved one, but this is this is December 1990, and it's just... Uh... But when it's when it's actually revealed that the lady Tom Croker is speaking about is someone Victor's crossed paths with, and not just crossed paths, but caused an unnecessary amount of nuisance and rudeness i suppose he is hit hard with a look of guilt when he realizes you know what well, he wasn't to know but still he realizes oh, shit i've um i've added to that yeah, young lady's I mean, complete turmoil do, do you know it's interesting this because I, I do wonder if if he never found out about this like if um you know if this was never revealed would victor have um felt any guilt about his behaviour as time went on. Oh, that's a good point. Um, possibly, because something else might have happened in his life which mm. might have made him appreciate the here and now. Maybe he he probably reflects all the time on how he how he treats people. It's a bit like, I think he was remorseful of locking Mr Laverick in the uh, porch of his house, mm. I think. Yes, yeah, he, so was. he was. I think he's someone... But he is, I mean, you can see that he is truly... You know, devastated and remorseful, he's, and he he is he just he yeah. is oh he's probably thinking this is yet another example of you know the, you know Victor Meldrew he's he's a human being you know he's yeah. he he's not this one dimensional angry um, you know bitter old man he's um, he's genuinely he has he has his flaws and he has his moments like like in the video shot where he does where he does act wrongly and unfairly but. Um, at, mm. heart, at heart, he's a very, a very good man, and I think that um, you know he he really wants to put this right. And um, as we will see, he he does try. It's um, it's yeah. difficult, it's difficult for him because I think for as much as he's he has got a good heart, I think he struggles to convey that sometimes. He does. So, so he, I think he that, does. Yeah, I think that's something that we'll we'll see in the in the in the later scenes. Yeah. When Croker is asking if the Meldrews are aware of you know what where the video shop is yeah pippa turns up but she's not seen but did you hear a strange hello 
that can be heard by her. Ah. She's no way in, she's not in the house. The windows don't look open. Hello. Sounds as if they're back. Mm. You can hear her. Hello. It's a very eerie sounding hello. Like oh, you can't really? see her. If you play okay. it back, you, I'll you have to can't... listen to that, yeah. Hello. Sounds as if they're back. It doesn't sound like she's shouting it out through the letterbox or the doors ajar. She just, you mm. just hear her, hello. It's it's really weird. I'm sure I spoke about this last time two years ago, but at that moment, um, the mood is back to a more upbeat manners as yeah, Tom Kroger exits, leaving Victor reeling to himself at his past behaviours, which ends the scene. And we'll stop right there. <laughs> thank you for listening. I don't know who's listening, but thank you to whoever you are. Since there's a good hour and 10 minutes left of recording, I thought I'd break this up into a two-parter, so please stay podded for the second part coming up very shortly. But leaving the discussions at this interval, just to summarise, Victor's recovered from a broken leg. He's participated in a nativity play, playing the back half of a cow whilst the front half had gone missing. And Victor's inadvertently caused further grief to a Mrs Burridge at the video shot, whilst as local Reverend Tom Crocus become acquainted into the Meldry's lives, announcing his stepping down from his role in favour of the corporate world. It actually mirrors what Jonathan Creek would aspire to be doing, coming to think of it. Although not saying Jonathan Creek's previous career as a creative consultant for a magician is in any way the same vibe as being a vicar, although some may say the two are interlinked, but I'm not here to offend. should also remind you that Ant, who I've had on, is the chap who plays the outro on the podcast, a little rendition of One Foot in the Grave by Eric Idle on the organ. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with part two in a few days. So do contact me through the usual channels and let me know if Ant or I made any sense whatsoever and if we missed anything out. Merry Christmas. <laughs>